Acts chapter 4. I hope this study so far has been beneficial to see how God began to work in and through his chosen people, his chosen vessels, to take the gospel into the whole world. The Gentiles were left in darkness. They were without God and without hope, going around in their pagan, heathen worship. And the only ones who had the truth in all the world was a little nation called Israel. And Christ come and fulfilled the law and sent back his Holy Spirit. He said he would. He said, if I don't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit won't come. And he come to indwell his church. And when he did, he began to save people. We know he saved 8,000. And if those 8,000 were saved, that means there was over 8,000 baptisms. These people are not ashamed to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you imagine what people are thinking? We thought they were done with that baptism stuff. We thought that was done when John the Baptist was beheaded. We thought that was over with when Christ that died. We know he died. We know we crucified him. You say he's alive. We still think he's dead. But what are you going to do with all these testimonies? What are you going to do with all these witnesses? He's getting ready, and that's what this book's about, how he turns the world upside down by just mere men. They said they took knowledge of Peter and John that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they could not deny the authority that they had when they spoke. They were not afraid. Not afraid. And that doesn't come to us by nature. We don't, it's not trying to just, you know, as the old saying, suck it up and try to be strong. No. Christ, they knew he lived. They were not going on secondhand information. They had saw him. They believed him. And they trusted him. And they knew what God had called them to do. God called them and sent them forth to do what? To preach the gospel. Not to play around with games. Not to try to reform the Roman colonies or the Roman army. He said, you go preach the gospel. And that's what they did. And here in the end of chapter 4... It said, in the multitude of him, let me go back to verse 31, and when they had prayed, that's what we looked at last week, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. He shook that place. He shook it to its foundation. like those men there in John 18 who fell backwards at his word. God was meeting with his people. There ain't no question about it. They were all filled with the Spirit of God. That means they were controlled. They were, they were filled with his Spirit, and he shook that place. It shook that place. And they spake the word of God with boldness. That means freeness. It means with liberty. Not afraid, not intimidated, 
Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And you know that's not arrogantly. That's with freedom. That's with liberty. We can come. We can now come to his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. They knew they needed help. They said, Lord, grant us the ability and the strength to speak boldly. And the multitude, verse 32, of them that believed, a multitude of them that believed, were of one heart and one soul. Isn't that amazing? There's only one can do that. And that's the spirit of one heart. One, well, that means we, we're all here gathered for one reason. We're here to hear the gospel. One heart and one soul. And neither said any of them that all of, of the things which they possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Now notice verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Not only was there great power, but great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And the apostles' distribution was made by the apostles unto every man according as he had need. Joseph, or Joseph, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas, and that word Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation or the son of encouragement. Now watch this. He was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Most people that I was reading behind, they would go on into chapter 5 where it deals with Ananias and Sapphira. Talked about grace and, and generosity, and then it talked about hypocrisy, greed. Well, Lord willing, we'll look at that in chapter 1, I mean chapter 5 next week. We'll try to look at it. But here when they said they, a multitude believed. A multitude. They had given faith. They had been given faith to trust Christ who was risen from the dead. What a miracle that you believe. You believe. And no, and no one can believe for you, but he enables you to believe. And these people believed. They believed. A multitude, as soon as Zion, the church, travailed, she brings forth her children. And the whole multitude of these people that believed were of one soul and of one heart. We know how, I can't remember, maybe you can remind me, I can't remember how many nations were recorded. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2 when he preached on the day of Pentecost? And it, and it lists all those different people from different nations. We don't know how many people, how many of them were making up this multitude. It didn't matter if they come from 
Charleston or New York or, or Georgia or California. It didn't matter where they come from. They were all of one accord and one, they were all of one heart and one soul. That's amazing. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The old enemy of our soul attacks in many different ways, but one of the main ways he does is to try to drive a wedge between the Lord's people. We have many different ideas, but we're gathered together for one thing, for one reason, to honor him they had of one heart and one soul. Their hearts were knit together in love. So we see the evidence of how they prayed and God answered their prayer and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them, they were one heart and one soul. And nobody in the place, no, no matter how many they were, no matter how many were meeting in this assembly, none of them said, what I have is mine. They said, what I have is ours. They said, what we have, the Lord has allowed us to have. I'll never forget what you read that Sunday morning. You read it from Henry. You said, we're all just squatters. And we can be evicted at any moment, at any time. Whatever we have, whether it's our, our physical ability, our mental ability, our families, or whatever that it is, it's his you're his, I'm his. And they knew that. And that's how they looked at things. Just, it's ours. They all knew what they had, God had given unto them. They knew God had made them stewards of the grace of God. May we be faithful with what our Lord has put into our hands. Remember, I tried, I used a little illustration one time. It's just like if, it's like, say, if uh, Caitlin come in here and said, uh, I want you to take care of this baby. You imagine how much trust that would be for somebody to take their child and say, I'm trusting my child with you, and I want you to take care of it. What if, well, you think about this, what, what if the Lord entrusted us with him? He just showed somebody grace. It's like one of his children, a young infant in Christ, and he said, I want you to watch over my child. I want you to feed him, nurture him, pray for him, care for him. You see what I'm trying to say? And that's what they said. They, they were faithful with what God had put into their hands. And Lord, keep us, keep all of us from pride. But this church here, of one soul, of one heart, and there in verse 33 it said they was in great power, great power. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The Bible talks about the gospel going forth, not just in, in words only, but in power. I, I can't speak and give a dead, a dead sinner life. He told Ezekiel, said, preach to them dry bones, them dry dead bones. He said, can them bones live? God asked him. He said, can them bones live? 
He said, Lord, you know. He said, preach to them. Preach to dead bones? Yeah. That's how dead men are. They're just dry, dead bones. Been laying out there a long time in the sun, just bleached out. But as he preached, something happened. He said, pray to the wind. And the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God began to blow, and there was a shaking among the bones. Why? Something's happening. That whole house was shaking when he came. And sinew came on those bones, muscles, and skin and, and stood up, and it was a mighty army. How did that be? There was great power. You just imagine how much power it takes to raise a dead sinner. The same power that raised our Lord from the dead. Raised them. Quickened them. Men don't hear with indifference when the Lord speaks. It's the same where it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Without, without God's power, now listen, without God's power, it's nothing more than sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Unless God speaks, what I say is nothing more than a noise. It's just me uttering empty words. I may speak the truth, but it'd be just as empty as a gun barrel that's not loaded. It takes God's power. God's power. God enabled them to give witness of the resurrection of their Lord. The resurrection gives hope. The one who died rose from the dead. And it does take the power of God to raise the spiritually dead. He walks up to Lazarus' tomb and Martha said, Hold on, Lord. He's, don't move that stone. He's been dead four days. And by now he stinks. No question about that. He stinks. He's been dead four days on purpose. And he said, you'd move the stone. He could have moved it, but he told him to move it. And he said, Lazarus. No, first our Lord prayed. And you think about our Lord praying. He said, Lord, now I know that you always hear me. But because of those people that are standing by, that they'll know that you've sent me. And he said, Lazarus. Come forth. And I guarantee you when he walked out, he was just kindly waddling because he was wrapped up. When he walks out of the front entrance of that tomb, I bet their jaws dropped. What just happened? And I still never get over seeing God give a sinner life. And they're different. Age doesn't matter. I've seen people recently, and I just say, and I say, Sandy, it's amazing how they just matured. It's like overnight, and it's God's grace is what it is. Those His children, He teaches them. Our Lord's strength, His power, is made perfect in weakness. God enable us to be great witnesses. God enable us to have one heart and one soul. The word went forth with power. Just turn back to chapter 1, verse 8. I'll remind you of one verse. Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive power. Our Lord is telling them, instructing them to abide in Jerusalem. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, you remember that verse because we're going to see that fulfilled all the way through this book. Where did the, where were they? Where, why did he send his power that you would be witnesses? You know what a witness is? It's the same word where we get martyr. It's somebody that martyrs give their life for Christ, their witness for him. They begin at Jerusalem. That's where they're at right now. They're in Jerusalem. God saved 8,000 souls. We know at least 8,000. But then he goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. That old hated place of Samaria, the woman by the, by the water, I mean by the well. And then they're going to go to the uttermost parts, part of the earth. He's able to save to the uttermost. And that's what we're going to see happen. They begin at Jerusalem, and they don't, we're going to see, and I think it's in chapter 6 or chapter 7, they don't want to leave Jerusalem. And none of us in here would. None of us would want to leave each other. Our hearts is knit together, and God allows persecution to come to drive them out. It's like the eagle making her little ones want to leave the nest. She makes the nest uncomfortable. And they leave. And why did they leave? They went out spreading the gospel to the whole world. I look this evening when you get home, if you've got a, a map in the back of your Bible, just look and see where Cyprus is at. That's where Barnabas was from. It's just a little island out here in the Mediterranean, out there by itself. And then we're going to see as we go through the book, Lord willing, they go that place several times. How did they get there? Well, they had to take a boat. You ain't going to walk. <laughs> but what I'm saying is they went and they were witnesses. Witnesses. I can say this. Everyone that has been born of God's spirit, you're just like the gathering man. You go home and you tell them what great things the Lord hath done for you. And great grace was upon them all. Not just upon the apostles, but upon all of them. The great grace controlled their thoughts and their affections. They're not afraid of their enemies. They rejoiced in what God had done, and they knew he had done it. And that same grace protected them. They turned Peter and John loose. Now, they did this this time. But it'll get more severe. But right now, he protected them. You know why? They're just like the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They're not, they're not warriors. They're not spiritual warriors. They, they're just learning. They're just babes in Christ, majority of them. And he's protecting them. Ain't you thankful the Lord protects you? Now, he sends trials, but it's a gradual thing. He didn't know the first thing he told Abraham was not to go offer up Isaac. That was a long time after other things had happened. He had done had Ishmael to leave. He had done left his father's house. He had done turn loose of Lot and all those things. He had done been through all those things. And it's, it, the Lord brings us through these things. Great grace was upon them all. When God's, now listen, when God's power is manifest, 
there will be great grace. Grace. It is the manifestation of his power, and God gives his power to glorify himself and to glorify what? His grace towards sinners. Great grace. Great grace that is greater than our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. That was 34 and 35. I'm a spot. Okay. With great, verse 33, when great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all, neither was there any among them that lacked. None of them lacked for anything. You know what I thought about? I thought about when he fed the 5,000. None of them lacked. The disciples, you know, they came to him and they said, Lord, send them away. Send them away. They've been with him a couple of days. They said, send them away so they can go buy them something to eat. Send them something away so they can go down here at Ripley and get them something to eat. Send them away so they can go get them something. You know what he said? You feed them. You feed them. What are we going to feed them? He said, what do you have? He said, we got five loaves and two small fishes. He said, you make the people sit down. And the Lord looked up to heaven and prayed, and he gave thanks. What did he give thanks for? He gave thanks for the five loaves and the two fishes. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see great grace. They fed. Now, that was 5,000 men besides women and children, so we don't know how many was there. They could have been 10,000. And when they were all filled... Nobody lacked anything. He said, you go and pick up the fragments that remain. And each one of them picked up a whole basket for themselves. Nobody lacked anything. Nobody among that multitude lacked anything. You know what that is? That's great grace. Nobody lacks anything. With him, you don't need, you don't lack anything. (laughs) For as many as were possessors of houses and land sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man as he had need. We know from other epistles that they were a lot of poor people, literally poor, in the church in Jerusalem. We know most of those people that followed him, even the 5,000, most of those were common people. It said the common people heard him gladly. Most of them probably didn't own any land. Most of them probably didn't even own a house. But some did. And some did. I thought about Ruth going to Boaz's field. She didn't lack for anything. He watched over her. All these people, you remember, all these in this church are his. Now, how's he going to take care of them? I would say, I would say, most of these people are shunned. 
I would see most. I would say most of these people. They probably wouldn't even let them come in there if they had a supermarket or whatever they went. You're you're good with that Jesus. We ain't nothing to have have nothing to do with you. But what they did, they ministered to their f- spiritual needs and their spirit- physical needs. Great grace makes a person love someone more than themselves. We read that and we go, did they really do that? What would, what would make them... I know people take this and twist it today, and they try to they try to force men to do something. But what I want you to see, nobody told them to sell their land. No one told them to sell their houses. Nobody tells you how much to give. Nobody tells you when to give. They just gave. It's not law. It's great grace. God loves a cheerful giver. And these people said, you know what, I ain't got much. I had no piece of property, and I thought about the man who wouldn't come to our Lord. He wouldn't follow our Lord because he had a piece of ground. Remember, he said, i got to go look at it. So I got a piece of ground, and he sold it, and he brought the whole amount and laid it down at the apostles' feet. Somebody pointed out something I thought was interesting. They laid the money down at the apostles' feet, and Ananias and Sapphira are going to lie about it, and they're going to fall dead at the apostles' feet. And they trusted them to take what they'd given and distribute it. So Cheryl needs something to eat. Cheryl's children, need, they need some clothes to wear, and they need some shoes. And they took that. Neither was there any that lacked. They didn't lack for bread to eat. You know what David said? I've never seen the righteous hungry or or never seen them begging for bread. I remember years ago, I'll never forget it. There was a man who claimed to preach the gospel, you know, and they were trying to start a work. It's actually down there. I know some of y'all know where Merle's Inland is. Especially if you want good fish, uh, seafood, most people go to Merle's Inlet. And he had a little building there. And they were, they were meeting. The first time I ever met Henry was in that building. The first time I ever met Rupert and Gary Shepherd was in that building. And it was nothing more than something they had worked up, you know. We're going to start a church. We might claim to start a church, but that don't mean the Lord blessed it. You can have... Henry, he's, the man called me. He said, you need to come hear this man. Henry said, he, he's the man. But I found out later, when they were struggling, that man that was trying to start that work, he, he told Henry, he said, uh, I'm going to go to the landlord and ask him if he'll drop the rent. Henry said, don't you do that. He said, our God is no beggar. And don't you pretend to th- let that man think that God's a beggar. He said, if you can't pay the rent, it ain't God's will for you to be there. You see what I'm saying? They, God provided. And you know what that man did? He actually would write letters to people. And he sent them to him and said, well, you know, we're down here by ourselves and, and we're struggling. And it's, it's the Lord's people. It's their responsibility to help us out. <laughs> Where's the grace in it? There's not any. 
And come to find out, eventually he proved that he didn't, just like Ananias and Sapphira, that they didn't know grace. What they did was a disgrace. They probably, we, and I hate to get ahead of myself, but they sold it and they thought, Danny, we got more out of that than I figured we would. So, you know, we can keep back a little bit of it. Who, who will know the difference? Ananias knew it. Sapphira knew it. And the Lord knew it. I can say this much. God hated it so much, they fell dead. That's serious. But great grace, none of them lacked. That's amazing. None of them lacked. They didn't lack for food. They didn't lack for clothes. They didn't lack for any of the necessities of life. And they had favor with the people because they took so much care of the poor. And that flowed from grace that God had bestowed upon them. You know what this says? You know what this is a picture of? It's an evidence of somebody that's risen from the dead. It's an evidence of someone that's has experienced grace. And grace makes people gracious. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to everybody that had need. These people were willing to forsake comfort, convenience, and personal satisfaction for somebody else's good. Like I said, what they done was done freely and voluntary. Faith trusted the servants of God to distribute the gift under the direction of God's Holy Spirit. i tell you another story. When Brother Henry in 13th Street first started sending money to Walter Gruber in Mexico, when Walter first went to Mexico, they were under, I think, some type of society, some type of Baptist movement or something, and they were very strict. They wanted him to keep up with every dime, every nickel, and every penny. Where'd that money go? We want to know where it goes. We, we, we're afraid you're going to waste a little bit of it. So when Henry and him started sending them some money, what do you think Walker did? He started sending them an itemized receipt of everything they'd done. Henry said, what are you doing? He said, I just wanted you to know what we're spending the money for. He said, if I didn't trust you, I wouldn't spend it. Send it. <laughs> and it made a lot of sense. And after that, you know, the Lord began to bless that work. Blessed it. I saw it myself. I didn't see it how it was before, but I saw how it was when I was there. Great grace was there. What would make a man take his family and five children to a place called Mexico, and at one time, three of, three of his children had rabies from a rabid dog? And it was in such a disarray, and he didn't see a lot of response. Not many people believing, and he goes out into the middle of a field and falls down on his face, and he said, God, what do you want me to do? Did you, did you bring me here to kill my family? And somebody said, what did God say? He said, he didn't say nothing. 
He said, what'd you do? He said, I just stayed. <laughs> Verses 36 and 37, and he gives us an example of an individual. And I just want to spend a few minutes here because we're going to see this man. This is the first time his name's mentioned, as far as I know in the scriptures. But it won't be the last time. And Joseph, or Joseph, who was by the apostles, was surnamed or nicknamed Barnabas, which means the son of consolation. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. He had land, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it down to apostles' feet. The Holy Spirit tells Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, of a specific man who was an example of giving. He must have been an apostle with them. He was not a disciple, but he was an apostle. It must have been for some time for the apostles to nickname him. Remember what our Lord nicknamed James and John? Sons of thunder, born born, born nurgies. Sons of thunder, Peter the rock, and they called him Barnabas. Why? Because he was so gracious, and he was such an encourager. You know, try this, when I told you a story about Walter, every time I think about it, it encourages me. What would make a man do that? He told a little story one time, said, you know, then they couldn't live in Mexico. You had... Now, here's a pretty good way from Merida, if you look on the uh, peninsula, to drive all the way back around the, the Gulf of Mexico to come back into Texas. And you're driving in a van, got all your children in a van, probably don't have air conditioner, probably don't have much heat. And you don't bring any vegetables across the line from Mexico into the United States. And Walter thinks everybody's asleep. And they pulls up there. And I don't know if Walter forgot it or just failed to mention it when he pulls up there to the checkpoint. The man asked him, said, do you have any fruit in there? He said, no. And Cody back there said, Daddy, what about them oranges? <laughs> so they had to get everybody out of the van <laughs> and search the van. But to see that, you know what they did? They stayed. They stayed. And I'm thankful for those people that he did. That he did. Listen, he was a Levite. And do you know Levites did not own land? The Levites' possession was the Lord's. The Levites lived, you remember when they brought their stuff to the temple? They lived off a part of that. Because their job was to take care of the temple. They didn't have a, a parcel of land like everyone else did. But this even shows, even as, as the Levites had degenerated to nothing more than a religious system, God showed this man mercy. And as I mentioned, he was from Cyprus. It's the largest island in the Mediterranean. An island extremely fertile, abounding in wine, honey, oil, and wool. I'll tell you another story on Walter. Everybody knows Cancun, don't they? 
everybody wants to visit Cancun. You know, it's just a little point. It's kind of like Myrtle Beach, probably not as long, and there's water on either side of it, and there's motels on either side of it. When Walter first went down there, him and the kids used to drive the van out there, and they would just get out and throw a blanket out. There was no motels there, none. And some man said, but when they were getting ready to develop it, said, why don't you buy a piece of property out there? He said, let me buy, like buying a white elephant. <laughs> but then look at it. But it, wasn't, it meant for the Lord, to do, for him to do that. But Barnos was a Levite of, from Cyprus. I'll show you what I read from someone I thought, and it could be, we're not sure, but most of y'all remember what the year of Jubilee was. You had every Sabbath year was a sabbatical year, so seven times seven was 49. Okay, then you had seven Sabbaths, and then that 50th year was the year of Jubilee. If, if Danny sold a piece of his property, and it's only five years to the Jubilee, well, that means... He's not going to get much out of it because that guy's only going to get to use it for five years because at the end of the, the year of Jubilee, it goes back to Danny. Someone said this was the first year of Jubilee. And if it was, that means whoever buys it can keep it for 50 years. So said the land was probably worth more. I could see that. We don't know for sure, but he has a piece of property man says, I heard you want to sell it. Yeah, I want to sell it. And they come up with the price, and he sells it, and he takes it, and he said, here, Peter, you use it any way you see fit. This was a pagan land, and he was probably raised as a pagan. Let me give you some scripture. Turn to Acts 13, verse 4. I'm just going to show you a couple of places where the name Cyprus is used. Acts 13, 4 said, They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Cilicia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Over in Acts 15, verse 39, now, this is when Paul and Silas, I mean, Paul and Barnabas split up. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed from one, departed asunder from one from another, and Barnabas took Mark. And where did he go? He sailed to Cyprus. Why would the Lord, a little island out there in the middle of nowhere, It'd be, like, it'd be probably similar to the Hawaiian Islands. Out there by itself, secluded from everything else. But the Lord's going to take the gospel to that place. The apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, the son of consolation. He was known for his generosity and kindness. And God has raised up this man to be a preacher of the gospel. You know what we see here? He forsook everything. So follow the Lord. He said, I don't need that piece of land. Here's what Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, No man that warreth 
entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, but that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. Having some piece of land, he sold it and brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Our Lord is preparing this man, and we're going to see him on in the book of Acts. He will even be the one that heard Paul preach. And when the disciples heard of Paul, they were afraid of him. And you know who took up for him? Barnabas. You know what he said? You guys need to hold on just a minute. I know what you heard about the man, and I know what he was before. But don't hold that against him, because I've heard that man preach. I've heard him preach the gospel, and God honored what he preached. And they believed what Barnabas said, because they were, they were afraid of him. And rightfully so, we would have been the same thing. He was willingly submissive to the apostles, the servants of Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. We don't know when he was converted, but he was thankful for that one who preached the gospel to him. And in verse 17 of the same chapter, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit them yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account. Barnabas may not have known it at this time, at this time in his life, but God was preparing this man for the preaching of the gospel. You know what I thought about? When he, when he, they, they gonna actually, they will send him to Bar Antioch. Antioch was the first place they called them Christians. And God's gonna send him. Well, what about that piece of land he had over in Cyprus? He don't need it anymore. He done got rid of it. Now, he didn't know what the Lord was going. He didn't know the Lord at that time was going to call him to preach. But he said, "I just don't need that." The Lord laid it upon his heart. You see what I'm saying? And when it come to it, I don't need that. I don't have to tend it. I don't have to take care of it. It's off my plate. And he was preparing him, equipping him, and qualifying him to be a preacher of the gospel. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is a true saying. If a man desire, and the Lord does put it in a man's heart, the desire, desire the office of a bishop or a pastor or a preacher, he desireth. It's a, it's a work. It's a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. And notice the next thing. I mentioned that Sunday to someone we were talking about, you know, after the first lesson Sunday. 
What's the first thing it says about a bishop? He's supposed to be blameless. The husband. He's a husband. He has a family. He's a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. That's what Barnabas did. He was apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. And that filthy lucre is just filthy money. He's not greedy for money. He's not going to do it for money. But he's patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how's he going to take care of the church of God? The Lord allowed me to raise three daughters. You know what he was doing? He was preparing me to be a pastor. You know why? All of us, I'm not trying to preach down to you, all of us at time act just like little children. And you know what it takes to raise little children? With any of us, it takes a lot of patience. Patience. You know, now I look at them, and I, a lot of the things I didn't think they'd ever remember, now they bring them up. <laughs> and they're good things. They said, Daddy, I, I remember you correcting me. I remember Erica told me one time, if I didn't know which one, because Erica and Heather were older, if I didn't know which one it was that did it, I'd say, okay, I'm going to get both of you, and I'll make sure I get the right one. And I don't know why I always got Heather first. And her, and her bedrooms were right side by side, and Erica would be listening. She'd be counting the licks that I'd give Heather, and she said, well, if Daddy give me more than he give Heather, I'm telling him about it. And she, what I thought was funny, she said, while you was in there spanking Heather, I was trying to put as much many pairs of underwear on I could get. <laughs> but, you know, they remembered their daddy trying to teach them and to instruct them. And I corrected them because I loved them. And he says, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, that means not a new convert. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the, of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. I'll tell you another one. That same man who claimed to be a preacher of the gospel, who later on proved that he didn't. This was years ago. There was a service station down below where we met church. And you could go in. That's before credit cards. You could go in there and get gas on credit. They usually wrote them down on index cards, and you'd pay, and most people would charge, and then on Friday when you got paid, you'd go in there and pay your bill. I stopped in there one day, and he got gas, and he said, you know that preacher lives up the road, and I didn't tell him he was my preacher. I said, yeah, I know of him. He won't pay his bill. What did I just read right there? He must have a good report of them that are without. What did that man? That man didn't know God, but what did? But he thought that preacher. He claimed to know God, and he knew if a man wouldn't pay his bills, there's something wrong with him, and there is. It brings reproach. That's what it's saying. It brings reproach. He's, he's basically saying, Timothy. He said, if you get in debt, you pay your bill. I tell you another story. For stories tonight. Rupert told one one time, he said him and another man, they went in debt for something. I can't remember what it was, and the other guy wasn't a believer, and they defaulted. He defaulted. He wasn't going to pay the debt. And they were supposed to pay the debt together. It might have been when he was cutting trees or something. 
And Rupert went there to that banker, and he told him the situation. He said, we signed for my names on that debt. He said, if you will have patience with me, he said, I'll pay you every dime of it. And he did. You know what that is? That's grace. It didn't matter what the other guy said. Other guys, you know, most people say, well, it ain't my debt. He said, no, I'm, and I pay it. And I think sometimes years down the road, I think Rupert needed a loan. He went in there, and it was the man at the same bank, and he said, I remember you. He told that lady, he said, you let him borrow whatever he needs. <laughs> Lest we fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. Titus chapter 1, verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not give in to wine, no striker, not give in to filthy lucre. But notice that next point, but a lover of hospitality. You know what hospitality is? Danny, if I invited you over to my house, I mean, saying he's going to show you some hospitality, you and Kathy, you come over. You not, we're not going to make Kathy go in and work in the kitchen and fix supper. We're going to fix supper, and when supper's ready, y'all come and eat, and then we'll get. And when we get after you leave and go home, we'll wash the dishes. But whatever you need, you don't. You didn't provide anything. We provide. That's hospitality. And people that nobody lacked. That was he was hospitable. You know, I wonder if they got the word hospital from hospitality. They probably did. But you don't see much hospitality in hospitals. <laughs> You'd think all of them are after filthy lucre. <laughs> Holding fast the faithful word as, as he had been. Let me give you one more and we'll close. Turn back to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Isn't it amazing that the Lord would record this man in Scripture? And the Lord is like the woman with the alabaster box, a very precious ornament. He said, wherever the gospel's preached, it's going to be told as a memorial of her. And the Lord memorialized this man's name, saved by grace, named Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen, when they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7, traveled as far as Phanasi and Cyprus and Antioch. They went preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Even here they they still not preaching to the Gentiles. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, and they preached the Lord Jesus Christ to these people. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Isn't that amazing what he did on that little island of Cyprus? Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, what, what came to the ears? They heard what God had done on the island of Cyprus. And they were encouraged. They were excited about what the Lord had done. 
Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth who? Barnabas. Where's he going? To Cyprus. Isn't that amazing? That he should go as far as to Antioch. They trusted this man. It'd be like saying, Sure, we heard we heard about a church down there in Kingsport. And and you know, we just hear what we hear. I mean, you don't you don't get see it on TV, you don't hear it on the radio, and we want to trust you, we want you to send you, we're gonna send you down there. And we want we trust in you to come back and bring us word what how the Lord's blessing, and we're gonna send you. Imagine how you would feel. He's going to Cyprus. He's going where he's from. He's probably got some family there. Who, when he came and he'd seen the grace of God, he was glad. How did he see the grace of God? How did he see the grace of God? He saw it in their hearts. He saw it in their actions. He saw that they believed. And he, what did he do? Here he is, the, the encourager. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. What a wise statement. For he was a good man. Did the Lord actually say that about that man? Yes. How was he a good man? God made him good. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. And then after that, after he, after he had encouraged these people, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. Why, why did he go to Tarsus? His name was Saul of what? Tarsus. <laughs> he said basically, my work is done here right now. And I want to go see this man named Saul. His name's not changed to Paul yet. Saul. What an encouragement. God, God make us Barnabases. We all need encouragement. And you know, my, my, what my prayer tonight is, my prayer tonight that this message will... Maybe in some small way. Maybe not just tonight, but maybe somewhere down the road, God bring it to your mind, and he would encourage you. And we remember Barnabas, who's a picture of Christ. That's the only reason Barnabas was the way he was. But the Lord used him, raised him up, and made him. And every preacher, God must make them. God must prepare them, equip them, and send them. And teach them. I look back over my life and everything that I ever experienced, everything was to bring me to this place right here. He told Jeremiah, said, before I formed you in the belly, I ordained you to bring you a prophet. And here was old Barnabas, son of consolation.